All right. Thank you, Jane, so much. It's always good when you can hear those stories, maybe as they were actually <laughs> talked about in the Bible, that uh, there's, some, there's some great characters and some great stories. And uh, if, you're just, if you're joining us for the first time uh, today, uh, we're going through the year of the Bible uh, here at Hope. And what that means is that uh, we're reading through, some people are reading through the New Testament, some people are reading through the Old Testament. And what we're doing in that in, that in three different ways. Um, if you've been following along or if this is uh, new to you, what we're doing is reading through uh, the New Testament or both the New and the Old Testament um, together. And the scripture readings for every single week are on the back of your bulletin. So we encourage you uh, to, to do that. Um, the second uh, way that we're doing that is in small groups. And many of you are in small groups. And we talked about a little bit earlier how you can uh, get involved with new ones uh, after Easter. And so we're wrestling with the scripture uh, in that as well. And, and finally, then we're talking about it here on Sunday. So this is just kind of the, the end of the week, and uh, we're just talking about hopefully what you've been reading uh, at some point during the last two weeks. And so um, if you're new uh, today and you're just kind of getting back into the swing of things, or maybe you've been gone for a while and are getting back uh, in with a church family, uh, it's not too late to start in. Now is the best time uh, to start uh, reading God's Word and, and to getting back into Scripture. Um, it's, it's our prayer here at City Branch that it would be normal to bring your Bible. And that's why we say every week, if you don't have one, take one. And uh, it's our prayer that you would wear them out, uh, that they would just be in shambles, and then you can come back and, and steal another one. Uh, not really steal, take. Um, and so uh, we would just love you to wear those out. And so get in the habit of bringing your Bibles every week. If you don't have one, um, grab one. Today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John, uh, as Jane just read for us, which is the fourth Gospel. Fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the gospels. And it's a story that, um, as a lot of scholars would say, is, is one of the climax, as is a, is a, is a high point, as a climax of Jesus' public ministry. We're getting closer uh, to Easter, not only in the gospel of John, as we're reading through it, but also in the church year, as we're coming up next week is Palm Sunday, and then the following Sunday is Easter. It's a story, as we've heard, that has a lot to do with this movement from death to life. And so today it's going gonna, it's gonna to point us towards Easter, that idea of moving from death to life. But it's also going to reveal Jesus' heart to us in a way that we've maybe never seen before. In Jesus, as the main character in this story, if we take it all the way back from the beginning of chapter 11, all the way to where Jane read for us today, we see a whole range of emotions in Jesus that we've never seen before. Especially, I mean, it's, it's a little crazy to think that someone would have this full range of emotions and would feel very deeply who is God. Who is fully God, but yet fully man. So before we get into the story today and start working through that text together, I want to ask you a question. I want you to just pause. I want you to just stop and think. Before we start forming our own conclusions about what we think the text means, and we think, oh, this is all about Easter, and Jesus is going to bring someone back to life, and it's another great miracle. Before we get into all that, I just want us to stop and think. What do you believe about Jesus' heart? Not just what do you believe about who Jesus is, what do you believe about his heart And maybe a better way of putting it is what, is you, what do you believe about God's heart? Or maybe more importantly, do you believe that Jesus has a heart that is capable of feeling close to anything that we might feel? Yes, of course, he's, he's all-knowing and all-powerful and he created everything. But even more than that, does he understand your heart? 
Does he understand what you might be going through right now? Because when you think about it, we use that word heart a lot in our common everyday language. When we refer to the heart as kind of the center of our being, it's who we really are deep on the inside. If you really want to get to know someone, you say, well, I, I really need to know your heart. If you wrong someone and, and, or hurt someone in some way, um, and, and they say, you know what, that's not really who you are. And you say, yeah, that's not really my heart. That's not really what's at the center of me. Maybe some of you, if you no longer, uh, you've lost that motivation for your work or you're going to go into work tomorrow and it's a Monday, you might say, I just don't have a heart for it today because it's at the center of you. To really know someone, to really slow down and get to know someone or something, you've got to know their heart. And it's almost like using a stethoscope. Does anybody remember having the, using the stethoscope? Maybe you've been to the doctor recently or as a kid you've gone for a checkup in the stethoscope. The doctor can hear things that a normal person can't hear because they use that tool. And I wonder what it would be like if we had a stethoscope for life, for, for the things that are around us every day. What would be below the surface? Not in just the things that you encounter, but in the people that you encounter. Wouldn't it be nice to know their hearts? Wouldn't it be nice to know really what's at the center of people. It would be great if we had a stethoscope that could tell us what's at the heart. Today in John chapter 11, John, who writes this gospel, is essentially taking a stethoscope and putting it on the heart of Jesus for us. And so we're going to get a first-hand glimpse of what that looks like to go deep into the heart of Jesus. And through this story, the, the, the story of the miracle of Lazarus is just kind of the, the undertow. It's just, it's just kind of the bed, the foundation of this story. And we're going to talk about Lazarus, but we're also going to talk about the heart of Jesus. A heart that is open and vulnerable in this story for all of us to see. What do you believe about the heart of Jesus? It's a very personal question for you today. Is it good? Is it angry? towards you today. And so I believe as we walk through this story, we're going to discover essentially four truths that we can really land on for what is at the heart of Jesus. What's on his heart? What does he feel? What's really below the surface? So if you could turn with me to John chapter 11, if you're not there already, and we're going to go back to the beginning of the chapter to verse 1, and we'll eventually work up to where we heard the scripture read for today. So John chapter 11, verse 1. We know that there's a man named Lazarus, and he's sick. And Lazarus is, is the brother of Mary and Martha. And as we read through these stories, uh, what we come to find is that Bethany, uh, where Jesus is going to go, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live, Bethany uh, is, is almost a second home for Jesus. It's kind of like a retreat center. Jesus was a busy man, and it's easy to get kind of worn out by all the crowds. And so what we know is Bethany is kind of a second home for Jesus, a place where he goes and spends time, and they're his close friends. Jesus had friends and he wanted to hang out with them and so he'd go to Bethany once in a while and so we're told that Jesus loved Lazarus they were close it wasn't just an acquaintance they were really close friends and we also read from other stories that of course Mary and Martha were very close with Jesus as well and so we come to find that Lazarus is very ill in fact it's almost to the point of death and so in verse 3 we read the sisters send word to Jesus because realistically, if you know someone, they believe in Jesus. They believe that he's a healer. If you know someone is capable of healing and someone that you love is sick, you're going to send word to Jesus. They believe that Jesus could heal. They'd, they'd seen him do it before. They'd seen him heal the blind man and, and, and the, the people with leprosy. 
the, the man that was, that was deaf. They, they've seen Jesus do these things before, and they, so they send word on behalf of their brother, brother Lazarus. But when the word reaches Jesus, we get maybe a little different response than we think we're going to. So let's read uh, this together up on the screen from, from verse 4. Jesus says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Right away we know this isn't going to be a normal story. This isn't going to be just any old miracle story because if Jesus is involved, you have to believe that there's always going to be something deeper going on. From the sounds of it, Jesus is in control. He sounds pretty in control, doesn't he? He sounds like he's got everything okay. He makes the promise that Lazarus, in the end, when this story's all said and done, Lazarus will not die. Jesus knew in his heart that Mary and Martha's prayer would be answered, but in a totally different way than they had expected. Has that ever happened for you? You've received an answer to prayer that is totally different than what you expected, or maybe you've been angry with God, wondering why he's not answering a prayer exactly in the way that you thought. So Jesus ends up actually staying two more days in Bethany. Your best friend is dying. No, I think I'm just going to stay here. I got it under control. Seems a little ridiculous, doesn't it? And so in verse 17, Jesus finally decides, okay, I'm going to go to Bethany. So let's skip ahead a little bit in the story. Skip down to verse 17 with me. We found, find that Lazarus died. And not only is he dead, he's in a stinky tomb, and he's been there for four days. Looks like Jesus might be just a little bit too late to save the day this time. And so before he gets to Bethany, before he gets to where Lazarus is in the tomb and where all the crowds are, Jesus meets Mary and Martha. And first in verse 21, we read that Martha runs to Jesus and she falls at his feet and she's crying. And she said, Lord, if you had only been there, my brother would not have died. A pretty reasonable response, don't you think? We've all been there before. God, if only you would have acted. If only you would have done this, it wouldn't have happened. You didn't answer my prayer the way that I wanted you to. Of course she's going to be upset. They sent word for Jesus to come, and he's late. It's over with. The funeral has been done. They've eaten the potato salad. They've gone in the church basement. He's in the grave. It's over. The funeral's done. And so it's here, right away, in Martha's doubt, that we find the first question asked about what's on Jesus' heart. Remember we asked, what do you believe about the heart of Jesus? And the first question here we hear from the lips of Martha, can you really be trusted, Jesus? Can I really trust you? I mean, the situation, to be honest, Jesus, seems out of control. Have you ever asked that of him? Jesus, can I really trust that you have a plan for my life? Maybe you've asked that question lately. God, where have you been lately? You know, I, I just feel kind of far away from you lately. Where have you been? Don't you know what I'm going through? Jesus, you're late. Remember when I was praying to you and I said, I, I need to experience you. Where have you been? Jesus, do you even care? And it's in Jesus' response that he speaks directly to that question as he responds to Martha. And he gives her a promise on which to rest her faith. 
In verse 23, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. What? He's dead and he's been dead for four days. He's a stinking carcass in the grave. He's going to rise again? That's crazy. Turn to your neighbor right now and just say, that's crazy. But it's here in Martha's doubt that Jesus speaks directly into that question. What's on Jesus' heart? Verse 25. Jesus says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even though he dies. Jesus says, you see, Martha, you thought this death of Lazarus was just about this death that occurred in this world. But Jesus said, oh no, you just wait, Martha. You haven't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come. This is far from the end of the story. Jesus doesn't see death the way that you and I see death. In a place full of weeping and sorrow and mourning, Jesus comes onto the scene and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Not a normal happening at a funeral. People are standing around sad, they're crying. Normally doesn't someone walk up and say, I'm going to rise, I'm going to bring him back to life. I am the resurrection and the life, is what Jesus says. There's life beyond death, he says, and it's through me. And it's not just for Lazarus. You see, this story is not just about a physical death in this world. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life for those that are dead in their sin. This isn't just about Lazarus today. Jesus says, I am the resurrection of the life. I am the life that everyone is looking for. What do you believe about the heart of Jesus? Can he be trusted when all hope is gone? Have you lost hope recently like Mary and Martha did that day? Have you given up on Jesus coming through for you? So maybe you're like me, and, and, and sometimes you, you get this idea that, that God, just because he's, he's, he's big and he's huge and he created everything and, and is all-powerful and is just vast and great and beyond our understanding, that he could, he could never be able to identify with me. He doesn't really understand. What do you believe about Jesus' heart? Can he be trusted? Jesus says there's hope. Beyond your pain, beyond your loneliness, beyond your current situation, beyond your sin, beyond your failure, and it's me. And so Jesus eventually arrives in Bethany, where he finds Mary is also weeping, and in fact, many of the Jews are weeping over the death of Lazarus. And you can imagine the scene here, they're just all standing around, there's no joy in the place, it's just heavy, and there's this burden of death that's around this place. Now, I think it's important once in a while to just take a step back and to look at something like this. Jesus comes onto the scene. Jesus knows that he's capable of bringing Lazarus back to life. Okay? And he knows that in a little while, he's going to come back to life. So he's got the power to do this. So if I'm Jesus, and I come upon this scene, and everybody's crying, and everybody's sad, and everybody's weeping and wailing, wouldn't it just be easy for Jesus to to come into the scene and say, Hey, uh, everybody... Just knock it off. Enough with the crying already. I mean, I'm the resurrection and the life. Don't you get it? Just cheer up already, a bunch of sobs. Gee whiz. 
I'm the resurrection of life and I'm standing right here before you. Just get over it. Maybe some of us would say that, but watch. Watch this. Watch what Jesus does. Again, we see the heart of Jesus. He enters into their pain. Look at verse 33. Some of your translations are going to say, a deep anger rose within him. Other, others of your translations, maybe that you have, will say that he was deeply moved and troubled. Again in verse 35. Then Jesus wept. It's our next glimpse into the heart of Jesus. It's a, it's a heart that feels deeply. Jesus has a heart that experiences anger, passion, being troubled, deep sadness. Is that the Jesus that you know? We think sometimes God is so big, so much other and beyond our understanding. How could he possibly cry? But here we find that Jesus was so moved, even to the point where the people that were standing around him that day said, See how much he loved him? Talking about Lazarus. Jesus is one of his best friends, Lazarus dies, and he cries. And it's here in verse 35, where I have to point this out, is probably one of the most popular memorization verses for confirmation classes ever. Jesus wept. Don't get any ideas, those of you that are going through confirmation. But it's also in verse 35, that we find one of the most powerful verses, I think, in all of Scripture. God wept. The God who has everything cried openly out of love. And in this simple verse, we discover a God that's not, not unfamiliar with our pain, but enters into it and cries with us. A friend of mine recently called that's recently been married and, and uh, he called and was telling me about a recent disagreement that he's been having, uh, that he had with his wife. And I asked uh, what happened. And so he started telling me and he said, well, things were going along pretty well in the conversation and, and uh, my wife, she's a little bit uh, emotional. And so I was asking her, you know, honey, are you doing okay? Is there something wrong? And so she just started to sob and she started to open up and just tell me all these things uh, that had gone wrong at work and she had had a bad day and she just felt unloved and she felt like she wasn't measuring up as a wife and as a mother. And, and, uh, and so he's just, oh, man, I didn't, John, I didn't know what to do. And, and so looking back, now I can see right here, right here is when she was crying is when it all went wrong. And being, he said, being the male that I am, I started to get out my emotional toolbox. And men, some of you can maybe identify with this. Uh, I started to get out my toolbox, and being the male that I am, I started trying to fix everything and offer nice little suggestions how maybe you could change and how this could be different. And couples, you can see where this is going. He, so he says, you know, I thought I was being a pretty nice guy. You know, I, I was offering different t- tips and techniques or how maybe she couldn't uh, feel that way and... and I said, he said, I said these words and, oh, this was the end of it. Honey, why can't you just snap out of it? And it all went downhill from there. Now I'm on the phone and I'm just shaking my head. I said, oh, man, because I've been there before and I can feel his pain. And so many of you guys, you know what I mean. It's not what the women are looking for at all. 
They're not looking for your emotional toolbox. They don't want you to fix it. And I'm not trying to stereotype here. Men, we need the same things too. We need to be understood. But in this case, my buddy tells me after about four to five attempts of trying to fix her problems, she just lets out this scream, which you know when people scream on the phone, it's like 10 times worse. She just lets out this scream and she says, would you just stop it already? I don't want you to fix my problems. I just want you to listen to me and tell me that it's going to be okay. I just want you to listen. I just want you to understand how I'm feeling. I just want you to cry with me. I just want you to cry with me. I just want you to cry with me. And then Jesus wept. God wept. And it's one thing to have a God, to have a Savior that comes into a broken world and fixes everything. And it's something totally different to kind of have the kind of God that we have that doesn't just want to come in and fix it, but to have the kind of God that would come in the form of a man, in Jesus, and cry with us. Is that the Jesus that you know? And so skip down to verse 38 with me. We finally reach the tomb, and we read that Jesus is greatly disturbed. Maybe even angry, but it's a holy anger. Jesus is standing right in front of the tomb of his best friend Lazarus. And, in, and maybe Jesus is the only one that's, that's not only thinking about his friend, but he's thinking beyond that. Jesus is standing in front of a tomb just weeks before he himself would be on the other side of the tomb. He would be the one on the other side of the stone, presumed dead. And it's here we find Jesus weeping and troubled and crying openly, not only, I think, for Lazarus, but for the crowd that's standing around him that's weeping and crying over this death. Maybe Jesus is thinking about another kind of death that he would have to soon die, the sin of all these people that, and, and of all of us that he would have to take upon himself. And he gets emotional. He was deeply troubled in his spirit. All the pain, all the sadness, all the power of sin and death is resting on Jesus' shoulders. Another death that would need to be overcome. We see that deep in the heart of Jesus is also a heart that breaks for those who don't believe. A heart that breaks for those who are not only dead in the grave, but a heart that breaks for those that are dead in their sin and cannot trust that there's life to be had in Jesus. Now, once again, take a step back. And in the midst of a somewhat heavy scene, Jesus is troubled in his, in, in his spirit. He's standing in front of a, a dead man's tomb. Everybody around is crying. And you have to give Martha credit for kind of being the realist here. After Jesus says, roll the stone away, she interjects with, um, Lord, he's been dead for four days and the smell will be terrible. In other words, Jesus... Are you sure? Because dead things stink. <laughs> they really, really stink. Is that what you really want to do? And, and watch this. This is how Jesus responds. Martha, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Yes, Martha, it's going to stink. It's going to stink up the whole place. But I'm about to show everyone something greater here. Martha, you don't know that Easter is coming in just a few days. In fact, we haven't even gotten to Palm Sunday yet. 
You don't understand that, but you don't understand what to co- what's to come, but I'm going to give you a taste of Easter right now. And so moved with the same passion that would later raise him from the dead, Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And out walks the dead man. And you can imagine this scene. I'm sure everyone, I'm sure, doesn't know whether to jump up and down and clap for joy or use their hands to plug their noses because it reeks. The situation stinks in a good way, of course. What do you believe about who this Jesus is? When you think about it and you watch the way that Jesus performed this miracle, Jesus could have done it any way he wanted. He could have stayed in Jerusalem. He could have never even come to Bethany and just said, Lazarus, rise from the dead. He could have come. He could have given a silent prayer. He could have just said, well, you guys do it. I I don't need to come. But it's here that we catch another glimpse into the heart of Jesus. As Jesus calls out his friend, he calls him by name. He calls out to Lazarus when it seemed like there was no hope for Lazarus. He was dead. And he spoke right into the darkness of Lazarus' life, right into death, and it's the call of love. Jesus loved Lazarus, and his desire for Lazarus was to have life. And Jesus has that same heart for you and I today. We are the ones that Jesus loves. What's on Jesus' heart? It's a passion for us to know true life. And he calls out to us and he calls us by name just like he called out to Lazarus that day. Come out. Come out from wherever you are. And Jesus says that to you today. Come out from wherever you are. There's life to be had on the other side. You don't have to stay in that darkness any longer. And so what we've learned today is that even through difficult times, the heart of Jesus can be trusted. That his heart feels deeply. That he feels everything that we feel. That his heart breaks for those who do not yet believe and that his heart desires life for us. That's what's at the heart of Jesus. And so my last question for you today is, do you believe this story was just a nice miracle? Do you believe, or do you believe it's about a God that you can know, a God that has a heart that you can be in a relationship with? What are you going to do with this story? Now that we know what's on Jesus' heart, what difference does it make for you today? I think it makes this difference. If we know that Jesus' heart is for us, it allows us to respond and to come to him with confidence. That we can know him and be in a relationship with him. We can come close to Jesus and we can listen to his heart. I want to close with a story that's told of an elderly man that was in his final days, much like Lazarus was. And he'd been suffering from a life-threatening disease that for for many years had now gotten the best of him. He was in the hospital and the man's daughter had asked for the local priest to come and pray with him. And when the priest arrived, he saw the man kind of propped up in his hospital bed with some pillows behind him. And there was an empty chair next to it. And the priest walked in and said, oh, I guess you were expecting me. And the elderly man said, no, who are you? And the priest said, well, I'm just uh, the local priest from the church down the road and, and uh, your daughter uh, sent me to come and I, I, I thought that you knew I was coming because of the empty chair and, and the man said, oh, just come in. Come in and have a seat. And he said to the priest, I've never told anyone this before, but actually not even my daughter. All my life, I've never really known how to approach God. I've really, never really known how to pray 
And the man said that the prayers at church always seemed to just be up and over my head. And, and I asked the pastor to, to help with me for prayer, and he just gave me these five books on the theology of, of prayer. But that didn't really help any, because I was reading these books, and in the first page I had to go to the dictionary five times, and that didn't really help. So I guess in the last five years or so, I've just kind of given up. Kind of given up on knowing God and, and being in a relationship with Him. I don't really understand until a couple years ago, my friend Joe came to me and he said, prayer is just a simple matter of coming, being close to the heart of God. Here's what you do. You take a chair and you sit down and you face the chair towards you. And you envision Jesus just sitting there with you, just waiting, just listening to whatever's on your heart. And then all you do is just talk to him the same way that you would talk to me. So he told the priest, I've been doing this for years. And I've got to be careful, though, because I really enjoy it. And if my daughter comes into my room and catches me talking to an empty chair, she might commit me to the loony bin. The priest was deeply moved and, and left, uh, prayed for the man and then left. A few days later, the, the daughter called the priest to tell him that the old man had passed away. She told the priest that she had gone to the store and then strangely when she came back, well, she found him dead, but there was something else that was kind of strange. She said, apparently the nurses told me that just before he died, just before daddy died, he leaned over and just rested his head in an empty chair next to the bed. What do you believe about the heart of Jesus. Is this the Jesus that you know? One who knows you and one who calls you by name just like he did Lazarus that day. Jesus says to every single one of us today, just lean your head on my heart and listen. And it's there you'll find a heart that's for you, that delights in you, and that wants you to know that he is the resurrection and your life. Do you believe this, is what Jesus said to the crowd that day. His gift of life is for you today, and he gives it to you with grace. Let's stand together. And so we know that sometimes we complicate prayer and we complicate coming close to Jesus and so we're just going to spend some time talking with him and, and being still and listening to his heart this morning and so would you join me in prayer God we thank you that you call us by name that you you speak right into our lives wherever we're at today and, and God we admit that we're coming from all different places today there's lots of different things on our minds and on our hearts some of us are tired, some of us are weary, some of us are stressed out, some of us are sick, some of us are confused, some of us have fear. God, we lay all those things at your feet today. And we just know that you're close. And we know that you're real and we know that you have a love for us. Thank you for the story of Lazarus and how you give us a glimpse into your heart. God, thank you that you're not a God that stands far off, but that you're a God that knows right where every single one of us is today. 
God, we pray today for those that are here that are sick, that are in need of your healing, whether it's emotionally or physically or spiritually. God, we pray for those friends and family, for those around us that couldn't be with us today. God, we pray for the city around us. We thank you for this incredible mission that you've given us and that when we listen to your heart, we know that it breaks for those that don't know you. God, would you send us out of this place today with your heart inside of us because we know that that's where real ministry begins is when we ask for your heart to come inside of ours and that you would live through us, Jesus. Call us out by name today, God, and speak the words to us that we need to hear.